This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Hello, Michael, Brittany, Brittany, Michael. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. It's an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, Brittany, been... go ahead. I'm sorry. No, not a problem. We've been talking about this for a while, so I'm excited. I'm ready. I am too. Brittany, uh, I'll start with you. Um, what is it that you do? I own a branding marketing agency called Good House founder and chief strategist. Michael? Yeah, I uh, had many lives, but the, the current one is uh, in-house uh, creative management at a, uh, a food and bev company here in, uh, in LA. So you guys both come from the branding world, right? Branding, marketing, design, aesthetics. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, creative, creative all the way. So from your perspective, from a branding perspective, this is a question I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making a, a turn here. I normally pivot with a different type of question, but sort of related. From a branding perspective, how do you see yourself as a Vietnamese person? Maggie, you want to go ahead and start with that one? <laughs> uh, from a branding perspective, you know, here in the States, and especially like at any big company, you're usually you know, the only Asian in the room sometimes, you know, for the most part. Um, so it, it represents diversity. It, it represents a, a certain way of thinking, um, a different perspective. From my perspective as a, an agency owner, I actually started out with the mission to highlight um, women and female uh, voices within businesses. Um, however, as my company grew and as our team grew, and our, you know, we got to uh, acquire more clients that actually ended up being majority, if not all Asian American clients. And so from a branding perspective, at least from where I'm coming from, um, it's been a long time since we've had a voice, uh, not only as an individual, but now within the marketplace, within business, at work, in the meeting room. And so it's, uh, it's really interesting to see um, how we are branding ourselves and essentially giving ourselves a bit more of a voice. I spend quite a lot of time with both of you, uh, both professionally and on a personal level. I've known both of you for many years. And um, you both are from, incidentally, both from Houston, moved to LA. And, um, you know, I want to start with this question. What sort of are the subtle differences between a Vietnamese person from Houston, 
and a Vietnamese person from LA? Um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, the simple, easy things, food. Food is so different. I mean, you would think that, um, you know, even in Vietnam, Northern, Southern, Central food is different, but Vietnamese American West Coast food palette, taste palette is different than Southern taste palette. I feel like at least from my perspective and um, Vietnamese food in, on the West Coast is a little bit sweeter, uh, a little bit more fusion, or at least uh, um, has the capacity to explore more flavors. Whereas I feel like in the South, Houston particularly, um, we stay true, or maybe sometimes we stay within our lane when it's central food, Southern food, Hanoian food. So it's like you go to, one specific spot for a very specific food. Um, and that's your go-to. In, in California, when I'm in Orange County, like you can go to one spot and you can taste a lot of different things. So at least that's for me in foods. Um, anything else like- um, What about people? people? Yeah, people. People, um, people. The general culture of young people. You know, I feel like People in the South, it doesn't even like just uh, culturally, we start families younger, I feel like, than on the West Coast. Start careers, dive deep into uh, professional careers earlier. Like if you're gonna be an attorney, like that's what you're doing for a hot minute. Um, you go to medical school because you wanna be a doctor or a nurse or whatever the case is. Um, on the West Coast, definitely a lot more creative fields, creative industry, um, allowing for uh, Vietnamese Americans to explore that a little bit more. And that's why Mike and I feel like are here, right? Because at least for me, I didn't feel like I had a place in the creative industry in Houston. A really good distinction, Michael. Yeah, for sure. I would uh, I definitely echo the, the food statement, like coming here, having you know, it, it, it's equally, uh, you know, diverse and robust. It's just like a, a different palette yeah. and, uh, you know, just different interpretations of it. Um, so I definitely agree there. Um, when it comes to the people, I definitely think, you know, it's not a monolith culture, right? So you have, you have the hustlers and, and people that are like super capitalists. And then you have people that are, uh, you know, more in the creative fields. I think the difference is in Houston, just like echoing what Brittany said, like the, the creative lane is a lot narrower there. And so, you know, you compare OC Vietnamese to uh, a Bel Air Southwest side Vietnamese in Houston, there's no difference, right? Like the, the hustle is strong, the, um, the, the family aspect, the casual aspect, the, the community aspect, it feels a lot alike. Um, I just think here in Southern California, the Asians have this whole other lane, which is creative. And so I, I think that people in Houston are equally creative. Yes. They just don't have that lane to flourish. And so, um, so yeah, a lot of parallel paths, but uh, a little bit of a wider lane in certain areas, yeah. Both of you have been back to Vietnam, right? Yeah. Uh, talk about the first time you went back and what it felt like and um, the year since and what it's evolved uh, to become in your eyes. You want to go on this one, Michael? Yeah, I could talk about the first time. Um, 
you know, going back, it was it was when we were all making the movie uh, Saigon Electric. Um, so it's been quite a while, but um, that opened my eyes to to something being so profoundly, you know, proud to be Vietnamese. You know, I think at the time, you know, like uh, the idea of like Southeast Asia was really romantic. You know, you had a lot of uh, this kind of like uh, Thailand, Indonesia, Bali, Bali, like exoticism that a lot of people can can bucket into Vietnam if, if you're not from there. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, you take on these kind of like very romantic island vibes getting there. And then you peel back the layer and you see, you know, everything from, um, you know, the inner city poverty of, of parts of Saigon and seeing how people live. And that's, that's an, uh, an eye opener, right? it's equivalent to coming here into to LA and seeing Skid Row sometimes, you know, it's like you, you peel back the, the, the fantasy gloss and then you see what's really there. And then you see, you know, all the dynamics of, you know, how that ecosystem works, you know, like, um, you know, how authority works, how, how does business work? How does, um, you know, street smarts work? So I would say, you know, the experience was just, it was filled with complexity and it made me, you know, understand where we came from a lot more. And um, it reflected a lot of uh, humanity and, in, in, you know, all parts of the spectrum. So overall, very positive. Such a profound way to put it, right? I felt like I was reading a, <laughs> I was reading a book. <laughs> yeah, and I can, I can really visualize and see that. I, I think, I don't know if you were there too, Ken, but it, we had a party uh, on my rooftop when you were there for, uh, with Stefan and with you and with Bao and a couple of other people. I remember that being your first time back. Yeah. Uh, and can you believe that was like over a decade ago? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see how things have changed and, and you know, how, you know, my, my memory of it, my romanticism of it, you know, sizes up as I'm, as I'm an older person now, as, as the economy and the lifestyle has changed there dramatically, you know, they were on hyper growth and still are, you know, so. Yeah, and you guys did a great thing. I mean, with that story too, you you bridged within Saigon Electric, you bridge two different cultures, two different Vietnamese cultures together to, to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I just had an interview with um, Lena Chung from, um, she was one of the dancers in the film and we had this, you know, long discussion about what Stefan did, you know, a decade ago, it wasn't considered a popular film, but now when people go back to look at it, Stefan did a great job capturing the essence and the feel of this raw Saigon. And I wanted to bridge into the next question about the idea of branding Vietnam. It's so different. I remember growing up in the 80s and you know, being Vietnamese at the time for me was not really that, um, it wasn't a, a, a good thing. You know, I, I say it all the time. And then going back now year after year and just seeing the the, the, the development and the evolution of, of our people, uh, it warms my heart. And um, I, how do you both feel about it? The development of Vietnam? Um, there's it's there's so many layers um just going back on on the note of, of being in vietnam i spent about four and a half years professionally working in vietnam but not as a vietnamese as a vietnamese american 
So though I was born in Vietnam, I wasn't seen as a local Vietnamese because um, I was raised in the States since I was four. And so when I came back, no matter how great my Vietnamese, um, they can still hear the accent. They can still see the difference, even though the, the, the small differences, even though our skin colors are the same. You know, my cousin, I have a cousin that looks exactly like me, but <laughs> just from our cultural differences, where we were raised, <laughs> where we were raised, we look so drastically different, but like our features are all the same, you know? Um, so on the note of branding uh, people, it was, we recognized, we saw ourselves as Vietnamese American speaking broken Vietnamese and trying to identify ourselves and how do we blend in in, in the States going back to Vietnam. I had to try to figure out how to blend in as a Vietnamese person. So that for me was so interesting. I feel like uh, it, I would love to see how our culture has grown. Um, during one of our sessions at your house, Michael, I forgot who brought this up, um, but I, I think it was Patricia or someone uh, brought up saying how people in Taiwan, in Vietnam, in China, in Singapore, they don't see themselves, or they're not questioning yeah. what it's like to be yep. Chinese, Singaporean, or whatever the case is there. It's only us that questions that. I think even in Europe and Australia, well, maybe Australia, but I think throughout the world, I think we're the only um, one yeah. baggage. Yeah. Yeah, this is America, right? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, the identity crisis is real. You know, I think uh, assimilation is, is you know, always a, a thing that comes to mind. And, um, you know, assimilation to Black American culture or white American culture. I think that that's a, that's a, a pretty strong divide and a, a pretty apparent, like, anthropological, like, development of, of our generation, right? Like, um, you know, and, and it's, it's boiled down to, um, you know, how do you identify yourself? Who did you grow around with and who do you aspire to be? And so I think as Vietnamese people, we're survivors, you know, we, we, we always like try to find how we're going to self-sustain and what's, um, you know, what's going to be the best projection of ourselves to, to offer the world, but we're thoughtful about it. And so I think that that's a, that's a really strong quality, you know, I think, um, yeah. You know, call it what you want. Model minority, uh, the pressure to conform. Um, there's there's a lot of different names and, and ways to look at it. Yeah, I um, wonder about the evolution of our culture in the world, and I often think about twenty years from now, our children. Well, we all have children that are not that actually are just half. I didn't even remember <laughs> one of us here. Yeah. Children who are half Vietnamese and a half of uh, Filipino. That's so true. We didn't even think about that. that connection. We didn't even think about that. Yeah. And here we are talking about branding, right? And branding, branding Vietnamese, Vietnamese people and our children are half. Our children <laughs> are half. And so going back to what Michael said about the, uh, the uniqueness, we're survivors. By the time it reaches, you know, 20 years from now, our, our children are, are older and they're wondering about their identity. 
there's no surviving there's no struggle i mean where's the where's the vietnamese-ness in our kids idea of their own identity and their branding i think that that's our that's i feel like that's a question we're answering for ourselves because we're the ones that are vietnamese and we're kind of like a third culture right we're a third culture in itself and so it's like how do we stand out as this third culture this third mix of being vietnamese and something why does it even matter to us? Right? Why does it matter? Why does it matter so much? I, I, that's why I have you both here because I, you know, as I do this podcast, and we'll get to the whole branding of the actual prop podcast because that's actually why I wanted to I wanted to bring you two on to have an open yeah. discussion about, be transparent about like what we've been yeah. talking about for months now. But why is it even important for our generation? I think we've been conditioned, man. Like, uh, you know, at least for myself personally, like I, I grew up in a very traditional maternal side of the family that, um, you know, really instilled the traditions. And, you know, they, they said, you know, that ain't gonna work, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. you know, you had to, you know, uh, even like during that time, like I, I remember just growing up, like we had, can you translate what you just said? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, if you have a Vietnamese face and you can't speak Vietnamese, then, you know, that that just doesn't jive, you know. So there's a lot of like instilled traditions. And, and you know, we weren't as strict. We are not as strict on our children in that way. But there are certain things that I do um, want to share the culture with them. You know, it's, it's some of the beautiful parts of the culture that um, I want him to know that that is you know, let her and him know that this is part of you, that you have, um, you know, a birthright to to experience these cultures and know this side of it and, and, and share it, you know, when the time is right to whoever is interested, you know, um, you know, just going back to what I was saying earlier, like, when I am the only uh, Vietnamese person in the room, and, and we do talk about, uh, just recently, that celebrations and, and what makes those special and what does that mean to our, our tradition and culture? You know, it's it's bigger than than Christmas to to our people. You know, um, and that's that's something crazy to understand. And so I think the kids will will feel the same way. They're like, yeah, Christmas is great. Uh, we get all these presents, and you know, we understand, and that's totally you know our 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 you know top uh, holiday growing up in America. But you know, I want them to get equally excited about that that follows right after. And, and, you know, going away to go see family or going on a vacation and, and getting the money and, and, you know, spending that time off that, that we will take with them. You know, I think that that's, uh, that's just a good example of why it's important. You know, it's like our, our, the generation before us fought hard to leave some bit of culture in us, like a time capsule, right? And so no matter how big or the amount that we inject into the next, it's, it's got to be there in some some form or fashion. How successful we are, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a sense of identity. We were plucked, literally plucked out of our home countries and then positioned somewhere. Yeah. And then your parents, like my parents at least, uh, they were never around, not because they didn't want to be, but they were busy trying to survive, you know, like putting food on the table. And so for me, I'm just like, Okay, so I'm Vietnamese, or I, you know, I didn't even identify as being Vietnamese. It's just that's just what I spoke at home. So it's like, who am I? So it's a journey of like discovery, trying to figure out who I am. And then when I found out, where at least remotely kind of found out who I was, I took myself to Vietnam to 
find even more of who I was, who I am. And when I spent my time in Vietnam, there's this, there's this sense of belonging when I was in Vietnam and the sense of family that no matter where you went, no matter who it was, like even at work, everyone eating together, they make sure that there's a plate for you at the table. Like little things like that, you know, it's not a, it's not a Southern hospitality thing that we do here in, in the States. It's like, this is everyone everywhere in Vietnam that I had the experience with. You go into the house and it's just like, have you eaten first question? And then they shower you and make you feel like you're already part of the family, which for me growing up, I didn't have that. So it was a, a, an amazing discovery. So coming back to your, on your point about that, like finally saying that is that and not just Chinese New Year was also different for me, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I'm like, so what is the difference then with that and Chinese New Year? And there are things that we do that is completely different from it being Chinese, like eating, uh, eating uh, mentek or like certain, you know, uh, nuances that I've only just started to discover that is more Vietnamese than anything else. Um, what? All of those things, like discovering all of those things, you know, uh, was really pretty incredible. Um, the types of like the little uh, candies that we ate and, you know, the foods, all the little small food dishes that we ate during that, like, I miss those. I miss those for my parents. I miss eating those things in, in, uh, in Vietnam. So yeah, I, like you, I, I guess I'm still trying to figure out what makes us so proud to be Vietnamese and what it means to be Vietnamese. And that's why I think this conversation is important, uh, especially now that we're, we're, there's a lot more Asian American voices, even within Asian American voices, like where do we belong? Yeah, it's a good question. Good question. Because there's a, you know, in the 80s, when I was growing up too, there was a hierarchy of Asians. And it probably, yeah. I think it's getting more diminished, though, because voices are being louder um, in different communities of, of Asian American experience. So it's, you know, it's becoming like backwards to actually say that there's a hierarchy. Of, Isn't with- that interesting? In, in probably in the 80s, everyone's speaking a different language as a primary language. Now... Yeah. The second, third generation were all speaking English, which is but from there, different backgrounds. There's that, no, there's that, but there's also the money hierarchy too. Like Japan was like the leader yeah. in the financial side. You know, they were number one. They were like third or fourth in the world. You know, at some point, so they were like way beyond a country like Vietnam. And you know, we coming out of this sort of jungle fighting, you know, if you will, you know, it's like that branding was that stuck, and I don't even know if it's completely erased. Right. Yeah, man, these the, the the Rambo generation, right? Like, yeah, I remember um, back uh, in in the Rambo and Chuck Norris days. My some of my uncles they were uh, they were picked to be as as uh, extras in all those movies, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> really, <laughs> jungle Vietnamese, you know, like that's that's still a that's something that yeah, I don't know if we'll ever shake that brand off, you know. Yeah, it offends me like if yeah pretty offensive, <laughs> pretty offensive. Yeah. yeah it doesn't offend you Brittany no for sure oh yeah I was like fuck yeah it offends me it, it yeah. yeah no for sure it offends me yeah so, you know there are many other things that I, that I won't really throw out but then uh, it's like well what is jungle Asian where did that come from 
right? There's jungle Asians, right? Yeah, yeah. Ali Wong, you know, it's 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 yeah. a funny thing, yeah, you know. Vietnamese too. But I I, I want to say it's uh, because we're the country is closer to the equator one, and you know there's uh, it's landscape wise like that's where we are placed. So it's like all the all the countries along the equator, it's much hotter. Yeah, it's actually just hot as fuck, just in every. Yeah. location so i think that's what it is but what about the connotation oh for sure that's what i'm darker skin color so this this is where the uh the solidarity piece is important it's just like the hierarchy of different skin color even but even within our own country like even within vietnam within the philippines like there's like uh skin bleach and like beauty products that whitens your skin and yeah for sure yeah white supremacy let's switch the uh topic up to make it a little bit um (laughs) lighter lighter i like i like darker but not quite honest (laughs) i actually wanted to get into something more technical which is the branding the actual act of branding on a professional level and a technical level Brittany, can i start with you um If you can give it to me from, you know, from A to Z, sort of like the process. And then Michael, maybe you have a different sort of uh, process, but I would love to hear how branding professionals approach a new, a new company. Yeah, happy to start. Um, I, I guess in, in the simplest form, say a, a, a person comes to me with an idea um, and they're like, I want to, I have this thing. I have this, let's, let's start with the product. I have a product, a tangible product that I want to take to market. Um, branding of that product is what most people see as logo colors, naming. Um, those are the more general of how people see branding. When we talk, when we say branding, they're like, oh, okay. So you can create this logo and then you'll be done. But it's, it's all encompassing. It's it's that's one element of it. But there's also uh, the copywriting, the brand, the mission statements, uh, the brand vision. Um, where do you want to take it? Is it, you know, the brand for the next five years, ten years? Brand story. All of those things are very, uh, very much part of the branding process of creating a brand for someone for a product. And then the technical elements is then creating once you have. All of your brand identity in place. We then create all the all of the assets. So that's where you are at now of creating the assets of like you have the name, you have the slogan, you have all the missions and everything done. We add on, take that, couple it with uh, your visual identity, and then we determine where do you want to, you know, in what format do you want to take this? Is it podcast? Is it YouTube? So it's all of those are more tactical, but in terms of just brand identity itself, it's just. Who are you and why are you, like, why do you exist and, and what problem are you uh, solving for people? Um, that for me is like generally branding. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good segue. I, I definitely think it's a problem solving, you know, exercise and um, commitment, you know, like you're, you, when you create something to put out into the world, it, it could be two things, right? It could be you know, purely your art that you yeah. are giving out to the world. Um, and then, you know, in a solutions-based uh, environment and economy, you're, you're trying to problem solve for somebody. 
and trying to offer them a solution that will help them live a better life or improve their, their, their circumstance, right? Um, so for me, it, 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 you know, branding starts with a lot of, it, and it's changed a lot, right? Nowadays, it's, it's like, how much data can you collect? And, you know, all of this monetization of a, of a brand, right? But I think it's really about knowing who your audience is. You know, until, and unless you are just purely doing it for the art and putting your art into the world where you expect nothing back and however they perceive it is fine. Um, I think branding in a, in a commercial sense um, definitely starts with just knowing who you're providing the service to, who are you, you know, creating this product for, and really just like immersing yourself in that, right? Like eat, live, breathe their life. Um, it may be multiple ones, you know, finding the Venn diagram on where they all overlap and what's that common need that, that what you're putting out is going to you know, hit for everybody um, and, then, and then diving into that. So developing that. So, you know, finding out who's that audience, figuring out what they care about, you know, lots of matrix and quadrants and all this, you know, sliding scales to like dial it in, right? Because it really is, a, it's a fine tune um, until you, you, you settle on something that's the, the eureka moment, right? Um, so yeah, I'd sum it up as just like, uh, you know, whoever your branding is or whoever your audience is will show, you know, what kind of branding you landed on. I, I, I wanted to add into that another element that I only just started to look into more recently with branding is who, who is behind the brand is also really important when we're working on the brand identity, because there are people who they have 10,000 ideas or they have 10 ideas and they're like, I may or may not run with this for too long. So I just, I'm just trying to like see where it goes. Or there are people who are like, this is my one idea and I want to take it as far as possible. And so in the conversation of branding with people too, it's like, there are a couple of steps that I wouldn't, I wouldn't so much say skip, but there are things that we can do with or without for, for the sake of the people behind the brand. Because there's, there's things where it's like, they're not trying to solve a problem. They're just trying to make a lot of money and very quickly. So it's like, there, there are, are customers in that space or there are people like you, Ken, where you have a question you want to solve, right? So, you know, it's, it's uh, within that question, how do we create brand assets to really uh, help you um, drive that message to every single person that you interview, but then also audience, can they, uh, understand what you're saying. Can they see and can they register or recognize right away um, that you know what your brand is? And so it, it's also who the person is or who the team is behind the brand. I feel like it's also really important. The absolutely the reason why I've brought both of you on today is because this podcast is really a branding exercise for for me for the Vietnamese. Yeah. Right. I want to know who we are, what problems are, am I trying to solve in the world that's related to the Vietnamese people? And may, maybe not the problems, but even enhancing sort of our image or, you know, shining a spotlight on the wonderful things that we've done in the world. Yeah. And um, it's a complex, uh, it's a complex thing. And, and I think it's gonna be a very long process 
and I'm here to document and I'm, I'm here to kind of uh, sit and, and spend hours and hours and, and weeks and months getting to know and, 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 and get paint or light on the subject of, of Vietnamese. So that's why I'm asking you both sort of the process <clears throat> of it. And um, I would like to know, when do you really know if you've gotten the branding right for a person or a company or the exercise right? If they're not thinking about the brand, they're thinking about just now the message and what they're looking to do. I feel like that's when you get the branding right. I actually just had a conversation with the team earlier where they're dissecting every single thing about this uh, brand identity that they didn't do with us. But it was like, we didn't like this and uh, this looked too much like that. Or uh, they just couldn't identify, they couldn't see themselves in the brand. If you're dissecting that identity so much, like that's when you feel like you didn't get it right. Now, if you get it right, it just becomes kind of like a part of who you are. You kind of really feel it, right? You, there are people we've done branding for and it feels like if that person were to be painted into a logo, into a color, into a messaging, like they can really have ownership of it and they can start to think and be inspired and be excited about what they're looking to do, what restaurant they're opening, what product they're launching. That's when we feel like we got the branding right for now at least, because branding is also an evolution. It should grow with you and with your team and with your product. So it shouldn't be just this one thing that stays with you forever. It should grow with you. And in that growth process, it has to, it has to start with something that you can identify with. So that way you can passionately grow it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think it, it's always an evolution. I, I think I think it's it, it's important to make the distinction between brand identity and the brand itself, right? right. Um, the, the brand identity is just a, a common language that people can visually kind of um, visually cue and relate to and interpret and, and understand quickly, right? But I think the the deeper meaning of branding is going back to like what you said that your, your mission and your vision and like what what creates the guts of what you're putting out like let's let's just remove typography iconography colors and everything for a second like and let's use those words to describe you know and it could be like in a, in a word cloud it could be just free association um it could be you know just just mind mapping but i think it's really important to talk about everything that is not seen that that has to be felt and so you have to communicate you know all these things that you can't do within a typography font or a tagline or a logo like that's that's putting too much responsibility on on the visual identity i think that there's you know the exercise of again it's this community like who you know who is your community how do you solve what one of my favorite you know kind of ways of looking at, at branding is like solve for both extremes right so it's 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 um you know the the the, the arthritic uh old lady you know that wants to peel like if you're making a peeler you know um i, th I, th I think i got this from a, a design documentary i'll have to i'll have to give them credit for it but it's like if you design a design a peeler right it has to work for the most arthritic hands lady and the most capable athlete. So if you solve for both extremes, everything in the middle will, will figure itself out. And so when you have such a diverse 
audience or target market. You, you can't figure out like, who am I speaking to? Who's going to really resonate? Do I go away with this branding or this branding? It's got to be like, okay, let's think about those two extremes. If, if both of those extremes like love it, then I know I've hit something because everybody else is, is going to, you know, fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. What are your, who are your two extremes in this podcast? Ken? That's a great question. I was just thinking about that too, but then, yeah. okay, let's come back to that. Brittany, please remember to drive us back to that question because as both of you are speaking, I was thinking about a meeting that I had this morning with um, a few people. What, what about the Koreans and K-pop and their branding? What is it about what they've done to seep into Vietnam, to seep into Japan, to seep into the US, into a, a strong market like the US. What was their branding? What was the magic? How did they get that right? And you know, this is, I'm sorry, I just got super excited about it because when I was working in Vietnam, my role for some time was also looking at Korean content and seeing what we could localize for the Vietnamese market. And then during my time at Netflix, I worked with uh, you know, uh, JTBC and all these Korean companies to look at uh, their artwork and how can we drive more traffic, viewing traffic on the platform using Korean content. And so um, I feel like, you know, I'm not going to be politically correct here, but because Koreans are seen as kind of the top Asians, they're light skin, right? Better climate in terms of economy, they're way ahead of us. And so they're like the white people in Asia. And then they have, you know, they also had their Korean war, um, but they had it a little bit before us. They had time to kind of like recuperate from that. Um, and then they tapped into entertainment very early on. And entertainment is, King content anywhere. If you can really uh, dial into something that gets people excited and 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 allows them to not think about their day to day, like you you you've you know you've done it almost. And so in music and in, in TV, um, with the way that they look, I feel like those ingredients kind of allowed people in Asia to kind of take that. And now instead of just seeing white people in Hollywood entertain them they're seeing asian people that look a little bit more like them but more lexicon <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah no no i think I, I think that they i mean they they came out of the gates very strategic i think that they they, they game theory this they reverse engineered it they saw you know that the biggest cultural phenomenons of the world you know pop music yeah that's an easy one to study from you know everything from euro dance euro trash stuff to American boy bands and, and, you know, from the early days, right? So they're, they're already looking at that stuff as like, what are big commerce of culture? And then, you know, they're, they're pumping out powerhouse brands like, um, you know, Samsung and all, all these guys that, you know, and so they know the advertising space, they know the commercial space so well, and then they got it government backed, you know? So when you, when you take, um, you know, culture, as a, a national export and you put the, the might of your government behind it, uh, you know, that explains a lot of their success. You know, like, you know, Americans did it with Hollywood and pop. Yeah. I mean, they just kind of duplicated the model, you know what I mean? So 
Um, they just did it in Asia. It's, it's, it's a lot like what, you know, a lot of us think about, like, how can we take something that was successful in the West and duplicate it for, for our country and our, our, you know, our people, our regions. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I find myself bringing this question up all the time. You know, why is it that the Korean culture penetrated and I use penetrate in a, in every sense of the word, I, I don't, uh, I'm not holding back on that word. Right. <laughs> and, um, why am I, why is it even important to have that in the dialogue when, you know, our elders are always like, you know, Vietnam and some you know, no, let's really rethink this narrative here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nilma, we want to be some we got to really get down with the reprogramming of the narrative of what we're trying to do and get more disciplined about how we do things, right? Like even within K-pop, the farms that they have, the idol farms that they have, the immense amount of discipline and far-reaching sort of vision that they have for their artists. Eight years, you know, like in Blackpink, you know, you see their artists have developed for, for almost a decade before they release them into the wild. And do we, we don't have those type of farming systems. We don't. And, you know, Brittany, you brought up the whole government or Michael, both of you I think brought up government support. Um, and we're kind of a fragmented, you know, group because we don't um, we don't kind of see things similarly right now. And I think Koreans had that, too. Koreans in the 80s, you know, were Koreatown. They were mom and pop shops trying to make a buck. But I think slowly they started to see one vision and a lot of the kids that i grew up with in koreatown we're going back to korea to to rebuild and do a lot of the things that you know some of our peers are doing now yeah i mean even on the north korean like the the whole uh um adoption thing like the korean government sponsors uh, people who were adopted to come back to learn more about their cultures like wow you know, I, I had an old colleague that, that did that. And then more and more people, uh, more and more stories surface from that. And that's sponsored by the government. Um, the, I, you know, it's, that's a difficult one for me, at least from the government's perspective, because, you know, there's a North and South thing still. Uh, there is a old Vietnam, new Vietnam thing still. So I feel like that piece is, is difficult within our dialogue within our own household and our own families and our own culture. It's like something we kind of don't talk about, you know? I, I um, would like to see that um, when we talk about Vietnam and Korea, it would be like people comparing um, like within a genre, like, uh, you know, there's hip hop and then there's rock and roll. They're both two flavors but they're, they're flavors that are distinct and they're, they got their, the best of the, the best in each of their, their thing, right? Like you go, you get heavy metal or rock and roll. You have your, your, your artists that, that really knock it out of the park for rock and roll. And then for hip hop, you have your, you know, it's two separate genres, but Korean Vietnamese, like we need to be part of that, you know, two separate genres that people can enjoy. And where do we start with that? Yeah. Do you think, yeah, do you think though that, um, 
I don't know, like, uh, does, do they have uh, an unfair advantage because of um, the history of their progression and where they are in their development, right? Um, you know, yeah. we, we, it's, it's a hardcore, you know, communist, uh, you know, now with, with China being, you know, sort of on the both sides of, of communism and, and capitalism, like we, we kind of take that route, right? Um, but the, the, the freedom of culture and expression, they're not on living, level playing fields, I don't think, like at least not in the early days, right? So while they're, you know, they're on lap three, we're, we're, we're just warming up. Might pull a hammy trying to catch up to them. <laughs> yeah. I am, I am seeing, and I, you know, we are seeing more people uh, go back to Vietnam at least uh, specifically within our age group and, and younger, they are, I mean, obviously not during COVID times, but uh, we are seeing more and more people go back. And I was actually uh, headhunted several times by different companies. And the interesting dialogue there was they wanted specifically uh, Vietnamese raised outside of Vietnam to come into Vietnam to work, um, to, to be a part of their businesses and companies. I'm like, that's such a specific ask, you know? Um, yeah. Why do you think they asked that? Uh, it's, I think it's the education abroad, the, the global dynamic, the, uh, the cultural aspect. Um, yeah, those three things are, I, I feel like are uh, like the lead and I think, uh, um, we, we've worked at different businesses and different companies that could bring value to the country. Uh, like for instance, for myself, when I was a producer in Vietnam, my specific role was to bring in directors and cinematographers from outside. At the time, there were no cinema schools. There's no education platform. And I, I do think that it starts with education. Um, this, this thing that we're trying to solve. There's the, education is a huge piece, um, you know, there's no cinema school. And so you're not getting uh, trained cinematographers and, and directors that are local to produce commercials for brands like Coca-Cola or Tide and all these you know, large brands and businesses. They're bringing in executive level from outside, but then everyone else, all the workforce is local because it's cheaper. So it's like, yeah, that's importing capitalism, you know, like they, they didn't have it as, as, a, as, a, as a natural resource, you know, they, they were, you know, getting over some heavy shit. And so it's, a, it's like a call back to the motherland, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of uh, play on their, their sense of um, country nationalism type thing. And so I, I found that deeply, like, um, attractive for me, you know, like, I was like, man, if I could, you know, go back and, and help some type of endeavor, some type of um, um, enterprise over there, knowing what I know and bringing back skills. Um, and even better, if I could get paid an American salary and do it over there while I, you know, did that, that's, that's like the, the VK dream to me, you know, but yeah, I think um, that's exactly what it is, man. We, we just didn't, we didn't nurture enough of that type of uh, society and so you, you got to, you know, you got to import it. Um, but at some point, you know, you're going to incorporate it, internalize it, 
put your stamp on it and then be ready for export, you know? So, so culture is like a, like a raw material in that sense, I guess. There are, there are education systems, I mean, there are schools now, uh, like a Fulbright University in Vietnam where it is uh, funded and the board is, encompasses a lot of uh, local Vietnamese and people from abroad that have studied at schools like Yale, Harvard, et cetera, bring in resources, funding and opportunities for students in Vietnam. And so, um, and they are looking at building the, the, uh, the creative arts the film programs and all of these things that I feel like could then really change the dynamic in the conversation and the brand of being Vietnamese. But that what's been interesting in our conversation is that when you say we as Vietnamese, are you saying we Vietnamese in Vietnam? We Vietnamese, Vietnamese American, or we as a whole? Like that is I, I, I go back and forth. Yeah, and that is directly uh, gonna link into how we're, de we're designing this branding for the Vietnamese podcast, right? Yeah. The banner, the, the, the thumbnail, all these things are things that we need to talk about and think about. But you, you know, that question triggers another funny question to me is my biggest nightmare right now sitting here and, and doing these interviews is like, oh my God, what if I'm asking all these questions? And what if I'm like, I have all these like conversations with people and then meanwhile, the reality is in Vietnam, they're like way ahead of us. They're like, this is not even an issue for them. And that question, Brittany, that you just asked about we, am I part of that we? Yeah. We, or am I just spinning wheels and just like a madman just trying to figure this like weird equation for myself out? And I'm like, really, there's like, 90 podcasts in Vietnam that's happening. They're like, oh, they're, they're jamming. They got fintech. They got like crypto. Oh, they're like, sure. they're on a bullet train to like surpass Korea and Japan and all these other countries. Am I like living in the, in some twisted, you know, Tim Burton sort of, uh, weird, you know, question, you know, or is this a legitimate exercise for the next 10 years? And I will actually answer just a small part of that question I'd ask if I was just a part of like the um the legacy of like collecting the history of it I'm cool with that but yeah. there's more to more to this to me than just collecting the legacy of all the past uh OGs of, of our community but I'll turn it back to you to to answer that question are we spinning like wheels and you know are we living in this weird like American Vietnamese American uh regressive you know thinking or Oh yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got a lot of baggage that we're trying to unpack and try to understand and trying to look within. And we have some type of hero complex that was um, yes. entitled to us. Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, I guarantee you, nobody's thinking this kind of way over there. They, they, they are living their best life for better, or for worse. They've got their own environment figured out. So you know, when you ask me what's the proper branding for, for Vietnam and that stuff, that's that's something I feel very, very ill-equipped to answer. Like, I don't feel like I have the right to. I think that I can make um, some objective process exercise calls on, on how to dissect it and land on something. Um, but, you know, through the fundamentals of branding, but there's no way in hell that um, that we're going to know better than, than them on um, you know, the, the nuances, the, the hardships, the, 
the opportunities, all that, all that micro stuff, right? But that's not to say that that our exercise and our intentions and our endeavors are, are fruitless and, and pointless, right? We we have just as much of a um, right. of a claim, you know. Yeah. Albeit, it's going to be a, through a different lens, and we have to. We, that that's what the exercise is: is how do we dissect this enough to where we're we're doing it um, respectfully, honorably, um, within our own lane. But also, you know, giving back to the culture something that that, you know, we feel like, um, you know, is a, is a positive, you know, something to leave behind, I guess, you know. But um, but I do want to hear from you, Ken, you know, on on what's you know what draws you to this and and what um, what makes you want to figure this out. You know, I mean, I know you're not trying to to problem solve or anything, but there's a, there's a certain reason why you're you're approaching this in that way. So maybe you can talk uh, about. I think one of the basic things for me is uh, uh, my Vietnamese is not great, but it's good enough to ask the questions to satisfy this big curiosity that I have. My, I, the, the, my parents' friends had always come over to dinner and always said, think Việt mình phong phú lắm, or they would say Việt Nam mình so And, you know, I never really believed it. And uh, I've always set out to kind of answer, you know, were they full of shit? Did they know what they're talking about? You know, and still I, to this day, I have a problem with that sort of weird nationalistic pride. You know, I got to get to the the end of it. But you know what? I'm having a good time. Um, If I don't get to the end of that question along the way, it's messy, it's complex. But I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm able to paint. Uh, this big picture on a huge, massive canvas, and I'd I'd be happy if the the answer never got. I never was able to answer the question. Um, the journey itself has been um, rewarding enough, and putting pieces together, uh, knowing that the puzzle might not ever be complete, in itself is such a rewarding um, a rewarding journey for me. I feel, I feel yeah, the journey for sure. I feel like you're providing a library of the historical data of all of these amazing Vietnamese people that we would have never had a chance to have a conversation with. We right. can read about them, but or, or or see them on Paris by night or like some some outdated kind of thing that our parents used to watch. But you're you're creating a library, and in within those library is the little nuggets, the little education that then now maybe provides our third culture or some sort of sense of identity. Yes, you know, taking a look, uh, taking going through these videos and going through these practices and um getting to listen in to a lot of your interviews like there are things that i learned uh that i never knew before you know and so i feel like in some ways you're providing education behind just just uh every individual's experience of being one vietnamese but like their journey uh, as well i think has been really interesting yeah, there are some um, OG people like Bak Le Sun Kwa, you know, that... Uh, yeah, that was a great one. Yeah, he is, you know, in his 90s. And, uh, you know, these titles on the YouTube description is just like, it, it's not enough, but it just hopefully it gets people to be interested. But what happens is like, okay, so we start to drill down on Bak Le Sun Kwa, or we 
drill down on Michael Din or we drill down on Brittany Tran. We, we start to ask these questions and you realize a uh, marketing expert or branding expert is just like the tip of the iceberg of what Brittany's done or what Michael's done. You know, you start to realize like the depth going under these icebergs and there's massive amounts of experience that has nothing to do with branding. Mm. And yeah. Bao told me that the stories in itself, the uniqueness of everybody's journey paints a, pa a tapestry of the mm. people. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. you're painting a tapestry again of just Vietnamese people that grew up outside of Vietnam. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm going to eventually get to the, the European Vietnamese, uh, the Australian Vietnamese. Uh, I'm sure there's other Southeast, you know, there's a big contingency of Laotian people, Vietnamese people that have lived there for many generations. Yeah. Wow. Also in Cambodia. Cambodia. Yeah. Many generations, way before the war, like yeah. in, in France is the same way. Yeah. There's Vietnamese people that, uh, that are just, you know, they're Vietnamese, but they don't really, you know, they don't really have the baggage that we do. Isn't that something that, that people, uh, yeah, like it, it, the, the, the story of the diaspora and like where the seeds of Vietnam, you know, got, got spread across the earth. That's fascinating to me. You know, like I, I want to hear more from, you know, all those people. It's like, it's like when you have like a cousin and they're from, you know, they live in France <laughs> you can both speak Vietnamese to each other, but you're, she's, very, very French. You're very, very Vietnamese. I mean, American, yeah. you know, but, but you're both very Vietnamese and came from the exact same place. That's, that's, uh, it's kind of crazy. This idea of branding, um, would you both say that it is a job to persuade or just to expand the essence of the company or the person persuade, which means persuade the public to persuade them to think that, okay, you can connect because here's the values, or is it just, hey, we're just gonna like try to drop whatever the essence of that company or person is? What's the, the, the ultimate job? Or am I framing that question wrong? I, I think uh, for me, the word more so is amplify. Okay. Like amplifying whatever that mission, whatever that problem is that you're helping to solve or that, that you're set out to solve. And so if you have a mission in mind, you have a thing, a product, uh, a service that helps people solve something, how do we as a, a marketer help you amplify uh, your mission? Yeah, I, I, I take a step back from marketing now and I, I, I try to focus strictly on the creative. And so I think it's, it's the job is to form the human connection, the emotional connection yeah. You know, if, if you can form that bond, um, and again, it's like it's like knowing what you have in common, or you know, you and your audience, um, what's that emotional connection there? And then from that, how do how do you how do you take that and amalgamate it or, or translate it into all these different touch points, right? Like, um, but yeah, that that thread of emotion is is important for me. I'm gonna ask a strange and like tough question right now but i gotta ask it from a branding perspective we have a few brands in our community right 
We have Trumps, Trump, Trumpers. We have liberals. We have communists. We have anti-communists. We have people who are feeling like, you know, Vietnamese Americans, Vietnamese Americans. And then we have people in on the other side in Vietnam that are like, wait, we're just Vietnamese. How can we rebrand this story? How can we rebrand this story to be, or is it even a, an exercise in futility where it's like, who cares? Complexity is good, you know, fuck them. Yeah. Or is it, I, I, I think I'm struggling to always like kumbaya this whole thing, but I'm just a dumb guy who just, you know, hopefully we can all like get along and, you know, this Rodney King, you know, it's a very controversial thing. And I, you know, my mom, my family, they're always holding me back. They're like, oh, don't, 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 don't. don't. <laughs> Right? Don't go there because, but I'm like, you know, I just want to like, anem bakong the whole thing, right? Anem anchi em bakong the whole thing. Sorry, but um, I just want to bring everybody, hug them in and, and like, you know, but is it from a branding perspective? It, it, can you clarify? Is that sort of, um, and I'm, I'm like really trying to figure it out and, and, and formulate the questions as we go along here. Yeah, yeah both on the series of the, po- the, the, the journey of the podcast and in this very moment is my thought process for this. Yeah, I, I, I think we should all just, we, I think we should be different. I think it's important to recognize that we are not Vietnamese in Vietnam. We're not gonna be living there anytime soon. We're, you know, we're barely, Michael and I are no longer Vietnamese in Houston. We're just, you know, we're, we now live in California. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, or maybe I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But uh, to just quickly on that note, I don't think that we need to try to solve anything um, to put everyone into a melting pot and hopefully we can all stir it up and we'll be this one thing. That sounds fucking boring to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's, I think that that's, that's exactly right. Like, uh, to try to brand the Vietnamese people as a whole is to say that there's some kind of monolith. And that's, that's, that's yeah. so, that's so obviously counter. Uh, and what do we tell our kids, man? You know, there's, there are certain values that, that, that run through us all. So we, we tell them about that. And so, yeah, you talk about like a, a Trumper and a, and a communist, um, you know, sitting down at a table. Depends on what food is being served and what drinks are being served, and I'll tell you how that conversation will go. You know, um, I think I think the the idea of um, you know whether you meow or whether you like to uh, and have an intellectual conversation. You know, there's going to be both of those personality types in each of those situations, and so um, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's that tradition of um, the gathering, you know, I think it's the, the tradition of the gathering that the familial community aspect, um, you'll really see a Vietnamese person's um, heritage or, or, or culture come out in those situations, right? But at the end of the day, they're all humans, they're all, they're all unique people. So I don't know, you got your work cut out for you trying to, uh, to, to, to really put, put your thumb on it. Um, it is so complex and I think, you know, we'd have to go for a couple more hours to figure that out. <laughs> but there's a piece there that you're saying, Ken, that I feel like 
uh, that we can all agree is the collection of the gathering of people. You know, the, you know, my one of my favorite things to do now as a motor is, you know, go to your house in your backyard with all of our different ideas, even even though we're all quite similar, but then even on the conversation of men and women, like just having those different dynamics is is important. But the fun part is that we're all together and we're all talking about it. And we're all having hard conversations. We're being proactive about what is there and what, you know, what is there. That's um, an important distinction, Brittany, um, that we're all together. Damn, yeah. that, you know, this conversation right now is important to point that out, Britt. It, it's, we have to be together, no matter how different we all are. We as a people need to be together and fight and, and, and duke it out and then get loud and, and, <laughs> and debate. Right. I, mean, I would love to sit in a room with my dad, a couple of my uncles, a couple, you know, our, our parents and our, our kids and us. And just like, let's hash this shit out. Nobody's really had a conversation with our parents to say, okay, tell us what happened, man. Can you just not be quiet about this anymore? Or, um, let, let's just sit there and just talk. Um, I feel like that's important. I, I only start to know my family when I went to Vietnam and talked to my aunt. Like, okay, can you just tell me what happened? Because my dad, sometimes he tells me, sometimes he doesn't, you know? And so it's just like... But then everybody has to be on brand. That's a problem. Uh, everybody's like, I got to be on brand. So I got to argue. I got to like destruct in front of you. I, you know, I think, I think because... It, it's between friends or community or family, <clears throat> you know, you do have to have some kind of ground rules and, and natural, it comes more naturally to some than others, yeah. how to be cordial and civil and, uh, you know, be empathetic and understand the other person where they're coming from and be, be, be willing to, you know, take a step back and say, oh, okay, let me think about that for a second. All right, I still fucking hate that idea. <laughs> no. Um, I think I think there's going to be something lost in in I think you've you've talked about it in in previous episodes of like you know you don't experience this because you and your mom are kind of like really open book you speak the same language there are a lot of generations where we'll never know the answers we we get the values and the traditions like pushed in and hammered in on us but then we don't ever get the other side of like you know how difficult it was to make the decision to be on this side of history right so there's, there's going to be a lot of, who knows, maybe they're ashamed of it and they don't want to talk about it. You know, maybe they felt like they made the wrong decision um, and made choices in, in that point in history to where they felt like they were on the wrong side and wish they would have done something else. I don't know. Like, I didn't get to talk to my grandparents about this kind of stuff. You know, one language barrier to, you know, just never, never had it. Um, so I think it is important, you know, in, in the things that you pass down, you, you got to pass down the full story so that whoever is the receiver of that can make their own decisions on how they want to internalize and interpret their, their culture and their heritage and what, what they can be proud of. You know, somebody may take it and just be like, hell yeah, you're on the right side of that. I'm, I'm going with that in my ethos and I will carry that on forever. And then they'll carry it on to their, their next generation. So I think that that storytelling, and I think, you know, you and our, our, our crew, that's probably one of the biggest cultural, I don't know, that's probably one of the proudest things that I could be about, um, you know, befriending all of you and, and being, you know, part of this circle and strengthening those relationships is because 
the storytelling aspect is something that is is so invaluable that um, it's an ancient culture, uh, cultural like uh, you know pastime and, and part of every ancient culture there is all the way up until now. But uh, even in this modern world, uh, I think hanging on to that and, and owning that that's that's amazing. I think that that's a success. You could you could uh, die a happy man like or woman like if if you just felt like you left these stories and told stories and left them for the next generation and beyond, you know? Yeah, applause to that. I definitely right. feel the same way about our group of friends because outside of this podcast, outside of us talking, like we get together, our kids get together. We're talking about important things. Uh, we call each other out on important things, but then we also talk about it. And we're talking about it here. Um, on top of that, like yesterday, I, uh, you know, I heard that you interview Nthamuin of uh, Advanced Beauty College. And, uh, you know, I was with him when he did, uh, yesterday when he did the uh, yeah. Asian Hate. Um, and as a Vietnamese business owner, as a philanthropist and giving back to the community in Orange County and so many different nonprofits, so many different businesses, kind of like uh, Vietnamese owned businesses getting together to do that. like. We, you know, our community is doing, and when I say our community, I'm, I mean Vietnamese people, we are doing something about it. I, I think having a, 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 like someone like you interview each individual and kind of like allowing, giving them space to tell their story, finally, I feel like is also a big piece and a big part of the storytelling. And that itself is branding, like telling each person's story is the Vietnamese brand. That's good. We uh, are faced with a crazy dilemma right now. And it's not even a dilemma. It's just a, a real nasty, rotten problem of uh, Asian American abuse in the United States. That is a branding issue. We're branded with a certain danger, I think, of, of what kind of threat are we to people who are targeting Asian Americans? What why are we in this situation from a branding perspective? Trump. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, the fact that like gave space to, to just hate crimes or just this deep rooted hate is, uh, is, is one. Um, and then identifying us, aligning us uh, with the virus is two. Um, and then on top of that, I think there's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it sucks. I think it's terrible. And I, I, I'm so glad that uh, we are all uh, Asian American voices across, you know, Vietnamese people, Korean, Japanese, everyone, everyone's talking about this. And it's an important dialogue, an important conversation. And we as Vietnamese people need to be a part of that Asian American conversation. Why, why do you think it's a branding, uh, anything related to that? I want to hear, uh, like, what does it have to do with branding? Or what's, uh, what, what's the correlation there for your? We're Asian. That brand is being attacked physically. What do you think, uh, on, that, on that question, on that note, how do you, as a brand, as an Asian brand, which is, there's so many different cultures within the Asian, you know, uh, you know, on, on in Asia, but as Asians in America, 
how do you think other cultures see us as a brand? It's a question. question. That's a really good question. Vulnerable, um, you know, uh, less likely to retaliate, you know, submissive, um, easy target, easy scapegoat. You know, that's that's a brand if, if you want to, you know, now I understand how branding has to do with this. Um, yeah, that's that's something that we've been trying to shake off and every Asian in Hollywood is, is you know, fiercely, um, you know, fighting to to accept the right roles and and not further um, the diminishment of, of, of our brand as a people. Um, you know, and black Americans have, have done this for decades. Been going you know. through this bullshit for 400 years. Yeah. And now we're getting a taste of it. We're getting a taste of, you know, and I think, how do you change the narrative? 400 years later. <laughs> you know, on that note um, of, of Black Americans, like Asian American is not even in history books. We're not part of American culture, right? We're not being... Uh, like how long have we been here before we were here even before and we as an Asian people have been here before the uh, hundreds of years Chinese yeah. right Chinese uh, railroad yeah. I think even before that I think on the CBS episode uh, the, my takeaway from that was uh, during the world um, the circus that circus in Chicago what, what was that that was world fair world fair and we were brought in as kind of like the showpiece. I think it was Filipinos. Um, and then, so hundreds, right? But we're not part of the history book. So we're not, we're not part of American culture. So maybe as a brand, we're always seen as this outside thing, this outside element, this and outside. We're quiet, right? Our brand is quiet. Our brand is put your heads down and work. God, I've never uttered those words. I've never said it because I think we keep in our own lane because we don't give a fuck. We we're, we're kind of detached. I mean, yeah. before all of this Asian American abuse, I think for, for the most part, I was very detached from, and even before this podcast, I was just, I always had these internal thoughts about like, Oh, what are the Vietnamese and who are, what are we doing? And, but then now it's like, what you're saying, Brittany is like Asian America, but we don't have a narrative here for the most part, yeah. like other people of color, other blocks, community groups, but how do we change that branding now as a group? Your podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't know. That's a big one. I mean, obviously, I think it does start with like, uh, like vo voting the right people up, but that's just politics. Like, how, yeah. how can we at home make a difference, right? But, but now, like, okay, Thumb, Thumb got all these reporters and all these news stations together. I don't, Michael, I don't know if you've been following it, but Thumb has organized, like, amazingly. And now the word is out, like, okay, we're going to stand up and we're not going to allow this to happen. But then what does that really mean? People are still getting beat and, you know, like, this is happening. How do we change the narrative? Do we go on a fuck you, like, get alpha about it as a culture? Or do we do we stand by and let that just? Well, I mean, you know what I mean. Look at every pro look at every protest that's happened when when uh, you know police brutality throughout the decades, right? From Rodney King till now. I mean, that's that's the same question that Black Americans had to ask themselves. 
Are we going to sit here and take it and just peacefully protest? Are we going to go break some shit so that people understand how mad we are and make this such a big movement that nobody can ignore it? So, I mean, in that case, this, this, up. this is a do or die moment, right? It's either you, you keep on being the sheep or you become a wolf to, to howl, at least to howl and yeah. make people know that you're there. If not, go and bite, <laughs> you know, to put it metaphorically. I mean, it, it's just going to, I think it's one of these things that are going to strengthen the community. It's going to be, you know, uh, but then again, like I'm afraid it's going to suffer the same path as, as most movements, right? It's going to be the, the, and maybe that's the purpose. It's, it's the cause du jour. It stops happening. We've done our job. We move on to the next issue. You know, is I that think the, the fate? Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Oh, Michael. Like, cool. No, um, but I think allyship is really important too. If we are part of American culture, we need to be allies within other groups and other communities. Um, and then we also need to integrate ourselves, not just sticking with Vietnamese only. Uh, while I think that's important, I think as an American culture, because we are Vietnamese Americans, as an American culture, we need to be able to integrate with other communities to say, hey, what are you guys doing? And how can we, as our group, kind of get together with you to kind of help spread, or, or maybe spread is not the great, or right, the right word to use in this day and time, but how do we amplify your voice now as a, as a brand, do you know? Um, how can we, how can we work together to, to push for important conversations, important narratives on this stop hate Asian crime, like this Asian crime, maybe we don't do this on our own, right? We, we work with our uh, black community, we work with our Hispanic community, our Jewish community, whatever those communities are, at the end of the day, our one singular thing is we're all Americans. And so if we can all kind of get together, I feel like that can really add value to our group, but then also let other people know that we're there and we're, we're being vocal because for a long time, when I say we as Vietnamese people, imagine Asian people not being vocal, but Vietnamese people, I feel like it's even underneath that, right? We're barely surfacing now. So if we utilize this time now to also say, we are also part of the Asian American story, Asian American culture, and we are our, uh, uh, this group, like we wanna be also present with important causes. I think the allyship is really, really important, especially now. I love that. Yeah. I love the, yeah, it's, 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 it's connecting us to other um, communities that have suffered this, that can relate, you know, that have a common thread with us. And I think, yeah, I think uh, alone, probably not as effective, but I, I love the idea of allyship, so. This cultural sort of um, inherent being quiet about external pressures and forces and just kind of, that's very prevalent in our community right? We're not, we're not trained, we're not encouraged to speak out about ourselves or about our journey, about the pressures and the pains, because that's just not the way the Vietnamese culture or the Asian culture works in general, right? So we're, we're now being asked to kind of like do things differently culturally, speak up. That's not traditionally what we're, we just keep our heads down and work and then bust our ass and make a lot of money and enjoy it like on, an, on our vacations. And we're not part of that cultural conversation. 
I think it's changing, you know, I think it's changing with the younger generation. I think even with the older generation now that social media and Facebook has, you know, has, has allowed them to um, read outside of their thabao and, and, you know, uh, jewel and, and nyata and, and circles, right? Like they're tuned in, they know what's going on now. And so, um, you know, I think that there are passive ways to make impact to where you don't have to be you know, the first one on the picket line or have to be, um, you know, screaming at city hall or, or chasing down your, your sheriff or anything like that. I think that there are, um, there's a lot of soft power ways. Um, I think that's you. you should do that too, though. What, what's that? So if that's a, if that's the type of, uh, kind of motivation that that group needs. I, I feel like, you know, there's power in that too. Yeah, I, I just think that there's a lot of ways to do it now. And I think um, the, the, the ways of the old way of doing things are probably, you know, out the door. They're, they're kind of could be less effective or not the ideal way to approach it. But um, I think that there, there's just a lot of opportunity for different ways to do things now. So I hope that's, um, hope that's gonna be the, 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 the difference here. Uh, I have a question for you, Ken. Yes. In terms of initiatives, Obviously, uh, this itself is a is a big uh, task, right? To answer the question of what makes you proud to be Vietnamese or what is what is being Vietnamese. But if there is an initiative or kind of like a maybe as a brand practice, uh, a nonprofit, an initiative, a cause that you can really stand behind or create, or like within our group of friends. Um, what we, you know, knowing our individual identities, but at the end of the day, we're all Vietnamese kind of on the same mindset as you, what would you create? What initiative, what nonprofit, what thing would you contribute to that will amplify our voice, our voice as a Vietnamese people? It's a great question. That's put me on the spot. I mean, it's a really that good question. Be something to think about. Yeah. Really good question. I mean, I don't know if I have an answer of um, of the big picture right now, but I have a I have a very guttural, I have a very guttural response for that right now. Um, but it's I wouldn't say it's small or big. Or I'm just saying that my initial response to that question would just be somehow to create more Vietnamese language schools because what Michael brought up earlier about not really being able to communicate with um, his yeah. parents generation and all that. It's very simple. It, this all starts from being able to communicate thoroughly with yes. Vietnam, um, the older American, American generations and us, we're, we're, we're losing that. And, that, and that's why I got to do this work. So one day it can be translated uh, in subtitles and stuff, but having, and again, Brittany, I, I'm not being able to answer that your specific question, but in my own little small way that I would know how to like um, bring in the Anchi M Bakong into a tight, uh, tighter way, like the Taiwanese, they have schools, they have um, classrooms to teach Mandarin in their communities, uh, you know, because I, I, I live in the 626, they have them, they have Chinese yeah. clubs. We don't have that we don't have this love for the language we we don't i i don't see it in any oh. of my crew you know for me for sure 
Say it again. That hits home for me for sure. Love of language. Yeah, and I can't even do it for my own children. I, I they can't even speak a lick of uh, Vietnamese. Yeah. So it it starts there, and then how are we going to ever? you know, be proud of our heritage if we don't truly understand the Nyukiko Tamtui, Nyukiko Phong Phu and the depth of, 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 of the tradition or the depth of the stories, you know, you can't, we, we are unable to process any of it without the language. And I think in the Vietnamese American communities or Vietnamese European community, all of the diaspora communities need to um, and and I'm you know it's one of those things where like don't do as I do, uh, just do as I say I guess I, I I'm I'm a horrible practitioner of what I'm saying but to answer your question though Britt like that is I think key to to unifying um, our crew unifying our group of people because it's all just superficial sort of understanding of each other unless we get down to the real 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 ability to to communicate with people in Vietnam. And they're learning English, but we need to understand Vietnamese. Or even just communicating with our parents. Imagine all the things that they wish that they could tell yeah. us, but they can't, right? Yeah, so, yeah that, that's, a, that's a really good one, actually. Because that hits home for me, too, in terms of speaking Vietnamese. Like, my Vietnamese isn't bad, but in, in, within our Vietnamese language, we also have different dialects, too. and. I, uh, I can, you know, I can say now, uh, I've never been confident in being, in being, in speaking Hoi, because growing up, uh, you know, it wasn't a pretty dialect. And so being uncomfortable with that is also an identity Think crisis. Think about that like, branding for a minute. Think about that I, branding. Where the fuck did anybody ever say Hoi dialect is not beautiful? It is a thing. People say it. People, you know people have this feeling guttural in feeling about it. And where did that come from? You know, now as an adult, now as an adult, I recognize it's because they don't, they don't hear it and they don't understand it. So people don't like what they don't understand. So yeah. it's actually not a, not a me problem. It's a, it's a them problem. Yeah. Yes. You know, but, but, uh, but being told that, you know, nine times out of 10 as a little kid, you, I, I still till this day don't speak quacks and, you know, I shyly speak it to my parents if there are other people around and I, I definitely need to work on it. I want to work on it. It's something that I, I, uh, I am working at all the time, but that itself, language itself is, is key, it's super key. I have a, uh, go ahead, Michael, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, I think that Yonghui is like very unique. Like I, I love it. It's, <laughs> It's kind of like a, it's it's a fun like it's like almost like hearing a a, a British accent or a, a Jamaican accent like I like I like hearing the uh, the inflections and stuff and the tonals. I uh, I always heard this word in Vietnamese. Um, it's I always heard it this way. There's a certain dialect around the central area, Quang Nom, right? You guys, you guys know about yes. that. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes, it's a very heavy central uh, dialect. Um, so, me by saying that, like I was in an interview with you guys know that movie um, Heaven and Earth with yeah. Oliver Stone film. You guys yeah. know that one. So I I sat with the, um, the 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 woman who wrote the story lately, Hayslip, and she's from that area. And you know we've done two and a half hours. I'm doing another two and a half hours with her next week. So it'd be like a five hour interview, and you know, but she's. Huh. 
in that language, right? And I went home and I told my mom, I was like, oh my God, you know, she spoke Wang No. My mom was like, you can't fucking say that. It's Guang Nam. In <laughs> we as Southerners or, or regular, you know, uh, the, 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 the mainstream, we say Guang Nam. When you say Guang Nom, yep. you're insinuating, you're, you're making fun of them. Yeah. Uh, I said it on the interview, my mom was watching it. Dude, it's like that subtle shit. And um, I, I'm not gonna edit it out because you know it, she's you know in her 70s and she's probably looking at me like some little you know kid that's like you know it's an innocent mistake. But the subtleties of that language aspect is are things that I'm learning every single day. The more I talk with um, th these elders in our in our community, it is so like just so subtle and there's nuances to to all of these uh, uh, the beauty of of, of true beauty of, of our culture yeah I would love to you know I know we we had a conversation of having this be a, a normal cadence I would love to like in some way bring in a language specialist a linguist Vietnamese linguist like how amazing would that be for us to kind of like learn these different uh you know when I I have a teaching English certification to be able to teach in Vietnam teaching English in Vietnam I never used it but uh, the Vietnamese language is really hard with all of our dialects, all of our tones, uh, so many different things. is is one of the hardest languages to learn. It is. It hands down. And it's yeah. so funny because people like Vietnamese people, they're always like, oh, our language is easy. It's easy to learn, easy to read that, you know, all the yell were there for you. <laughs> no. Maybe it's you don't know those yells, you'll say it all wrong. And it's like, yeah, you said something terrible. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> You know, going back to what you're saying, Brittany, um, we need to do this regularly. And, uh, you know, some most of the guests will come on once in a lifetime and, they'll, you know, do their few hours and we have a, a good thing. And, um, you know, a lot of podcasts in the American sectors bring on buddies like friends that like you both um, to have commentary on on the state of the union of, 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 of Vietnamese in America or anything that happens. And I would love, 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 love to have you both back on as regulars. And we, you know, today we talked about branding and, and how that's important, but hopefully the audience as we grow can understand like the way that we shape our own narrative through branding, through these assets, quote unquote, right? Make a big difference, make a big difference. And um, I thank you both today. Do you have any closing thoughts um, as we close out? Um, I just want to say thank you. This has been super, super fun, a, a real treat. I think, uh, you know, we, we, we always have great conversations and to be able to, to do it in this format and contribute to, um, you know, this project that you're creating, uh, it means a lot. And, um, so I just want to say, you know, in, in the way that you were saying, you're going to do this exercise it may take the rest of your life. If you don't find the answer, so be it. And um, I just want to, I want to coin that, get vit or die trying. Jinsat? <laughs> Aren't you glad this podcast is not called Jinsat? Because <laughs> it was almost, it was almost Jinsat. Um, but yeah, I, you know, same. I'm so thankful for, for you guys as friends, close friends, uh, like my older brothers and to be able to take our conversation online uh, is, is valuable and important and, and, 
a lot of fun because I feel like we do this often within our own circle and I would love to be able to see how this unfolds and it and you know on that note to be able to work with you Ken on this project is is a absolute privilege and so um, I'm excited to see how all of this unfolds and and to to be uh, have to have these normal conversations with you whether it's on branding or anything or just a bunch of randomness it's, yeah it's I, I know that you two are very busy people and you run um these you guys have big hats that or big shoes that you fill um at the at the workplace that you guys are are um you know spend most of your time and i really appreciate the the, the time that you've um spent here and i i do want you both to let me know um whenever there is a um an issue or things that we should discuss because um what i'm learning through the comments and reading through the comments that are that exists is or even friends that have called me up or you know i get the most random email emails and random comments now that um ever know how we affect people's lives we don't know how this uh is going to affect um our community's lives and hopefully it has a positive impact um one of the episodes i did it was on nick mom i can't believe how many people have responded to that one personally to me this is the most random danny shout out to danny if you're listening the most amazing thing you know and obviously like sarah and bows um uh, segments are very um, informative and but it's just so random the things that 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 we you know what we are now uh controlling the narrative we're putting out these stories for our community and for ourselves it's unprecedented and i'm thankful that you two have been um in my life years i mean almost a, over a decade before i even started this so thank you for inspiring me daily and um because i talk to you guys bug you guys all the time <laughs> we're so happy for you ken we are very happy you you uh you did something and uh you're doing it you're continuing to do it so yeah well we're doing it all part of this journey we're doing it all together and um you know we'll get back on this uh, in a few more months and weeks as uh, the days go on and we'll do more commentary sounds good thank all you right, guys and gm thank you, and thank you ken thank you bye thank you for listening to the vietnamese with kenneth win the vietnamese is produced by Brittany tran and javier proenza special thanks to jane win catherine win tina fam sydney jamie and crystal trin Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening.